Welcome to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. Did you know that listeners like you are helping to make these podcasts possible? Let us know that our podcasts are important to you by showing your support today. Visit stjosemaria.org slash give. Today in the podcast, the sanctification of work. Father Peter Armenio, a priest of Opus Dei, shares the biblical basis for giving glory to God through our work and explains how Jesus' hidden life of work is meant to be for us a model for holiness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present with us in the Blessed Sacrament. This is kind of a safe topic to make up for your previous topic. It's called sanctification of work. That shouldn't sound too frightening. We open up the gospel, and we listen to our Lord's words addressed to a lawyer who asks him that profound question, what must I do to be happy? That's not the only instance he is confronted with this kind of question. And he answers, teacher, what shall I do to inherit inherit eternal life? He says to him, What is written in the law? How do you read? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. It sounds marvelous, but we ask the question to our Lord, truly present with us, what does this mean in the practice? What do I do with this commandment? It's rather clear that there's more to following Jesus than saying a token prayer or showing up for Mass on Sunday, whole heart, whole mind, whole soul, whole strength. The rich young man will ask him the same question, and the Lord will summarize it by saying, sell all that you have. Another passage that also has an air of mystery to it is when Jesus says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray 
and not lose heart. So this is quite a contrast from reserving a little time for the practice of our faith or the recitation of prayers. Jesus is saying that this dialogue with him must be ongoing. It's a summary of love God with whole heart, whole mind, whole soul, whole strength. Again, we ask that question, well, what does this mean for me? If I would spend all day in church, a few days a week, would I dent this greatest of all commandments? Would I approach the goal of loving God with whole heart, whole mind, whole soul, whole strength? We know the answer is negative. One retreat, one silent retreat is challenging enough, but maybe I should sign up for 10. If I'm going to live this commandment faithfully. Or maybe for starters, five Sunday Masses instead of one. And we know that that's not the right interpretation. Well, what is the right interpretation? Let's look at Jesus. Jesus is the way. The model of living this greatest of all commandments is Jesus as a man. We look at his life, and we know that he did not kneel down in the synagogue all day. His sojourn in the desert, where he was immersed in prayer and penance, was 40 days. Whether it was literal or not is a different story, but it was a protracted period of time. But his public life was not one long sojourn in the mountains or the desert. And we do have information about his hidden life. He spent his hidden life working, working as a carpenter. The critiques, the biting remarks hurled at him when he gave his first address or homily in the synagogue commenting on a prophecy of giving meaning to the poor, giving joy to the sad, evangelize the good news to the poor. He says, this, gospel, this prophecy is now being fulfilled in me. And that prompted biting remarks. You're a nobody. You're just a carpenter. You're just the son of Mary. That's all you are. You're the son of the carpenter. 
But for us, even though those remarks had the purpose of being hurtful, they give us tremendous amount of meaning. Using an idea of Saint Jose Maria, he says that the silence of Scripture also is inspired by the Holy Spirit. If I would write a biography of anyone, I would try to come up with all sorts of neat stories of their childhood, of their pre-adolescence, of their adolescence. But we only have five stories. They're called the Five Joyful Mysteries. But not one anecdote of just his typical day as a teenager or how he interacted with his friends or a humorous story at work. Nothing. No story at all. But there is a lot. By the very absence of information, God is delivering a very powerful message to all of us here. What is that message? He says, where do you get this doctrine? Aren't you the carpenter's son? Aren't you the son of Mary? St. Luke, St. Mark, excuse me, says, And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get all this? What is the wisdom given to him? What mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? So basically they say, you're so unimportant, you're just the son of Joseph in one gospel. This gospel, you're just the son of Mary. You're just the carpenter. You are known as a worker. We only know you as a worker. We haven't witnessed a miracle. You've never given an impassioned address. You have never interpreted scripture officially. You... That's how we remember you. And our Lord is saying, that's how I want you to follow me. Because if you're going to live this greatest of all commandments, and Jesus says, I lead the way, whole heart, whole mind, whole soul, whole strength, you got to do something with your work. My work and your work play a major role in my discipleship. And our Lord is the Redeemer of the world, and it's interesting to see that he begins his self-giving, his self-emptying through the medium of work. Because to work well, to work, you need to spend yourself. And it's a sneak preview of that total self-giving that will culminate on the cross. That, that work has a little bit of the cross in it. And we do know a lot about his hidden life because everything he says in his public life was lived in his hidden life. Everything he said, he did. It was all action. It was all sentiment. And in fact, 
everything he taught in his public life was incarnated as a carpenter. His carpentry reflected his public life. Because carpentry was prayer, his carpentry was self-sacrifice, his carpentry was, was charity, it was service. There's a lot of classical stories of Saint Jose Maria. He was um, accused, just like the patriarch Joseph, of being a dreamer. A lot of dreaming, of evangelizing many and introducing many, many people to Christ bringing every person to our Lord, putting Jesus in the heart of the world, and he would make a big fuss. A lot of, a lot of times it was an act, but a big fuss over not changing a light bulb. Or in Rome, people had all sorts of small jobs of painting, of... Uh, taking care of plants, of putting order in a room, taking care of the chapel. And if there was something a little bit out of place, he'd blow the whistle. And I remember a story I was told that, you know, there was, um, they would lay down kind of a canvas covering along this marble staircase when it would rain, so the, the water would not damage the marble. And you had 150 guys living in those buildings, and uh, they were going up and down this main staircase, and the canvas was being crumpled to one side. And St. Jose Maria shouted to the effect Oh, I have all these sons who do not love God because they were not paying attention to the canvas. Again, not exactly a capital offense, but he was teaching, okay, we've got to give glory to God in our work. And we find Jesus Christ when I spend myself out of love for him, whether I'm writing a paper that could win a Nobel Prize or I'm cleaning a restroom. And he would be asked, well, what's, the, what's an important kind of work? He said, it doesn't matter what you're doing. The most important kind of work is the work that is done out of love for God. That's the most important kind of work. So we tell Jesus in, our, in the midst of our prayer, Lord, I will not see myself as a second-class citizen in following you because I have an ordinary job or a tedious job or what the world may call a humble job. And let's hear our Lord. Let's put, let's put words in his mouth. Don't underestimate the ordinary. Don't underestimate work. The queen of heaven and earth did ordinary work. My adopted father was a manual laborer. 
I spent most of my time here on earth, and I'm God-made man working for my dad. In the host, we have a, a laborer in the host. The, the, the lay, he's a carpenter. He didn't stop being a carpenter just because he went public. He's a carpenter. We have a, we have a, a worker hidden underneath that appearance of bread. And he's telling us by sanctifying this work, we begin to change the world because our family life and our workplace are little tiny pieces of that world that I'm supposed to change. And I change it by making what I do holy, or God does it through me. And I become holy through my work. And through my work, other people encounter Christ. The work becomes holy. I become holy. I'm an instrument to get other people to be holy. St. Maria says in Forge, every activity, be it of great human importance or not, must become for you a means to serve our Lord and your fellow men. That is the true measure of its importance. Another point, work always and in everything with sacrifice in order to put Christ at the summit of all human activity. No wonder, Jesus, you did manual labor. Because you're teaching us that's how we bring you to the summit of every human activity. Now, let's keep praying about this. Now, Lord, what do you mean by sanctifying work? I would say there's, looking at Jesus, there's two dimensions to sanctifying work. One is subjective, and one is objective. Let's look at the subjective part. Whole heart, whole mind, whole soul, whole strength that I throw myself into it. It's not an idolatry, it's not an absolute, but I throw myself into it because I have a divine supervisor watching. I'm doing it out of love for God, so I want to give my very best in that work. Whole heart, whole mind, whole soul, whole strength. So that's number one, that I am really trying my best. I'm detached. It's not everything the way our 21st century culture tries to brainwash us into making work an absolute, all-absorbing. No, but I am going to throw myself into it. And what does it mean? Well, it means that I, I start on time. It means that I don't get distracted. It means that I don't check my email every six minutes. It means that I don't take breaks. I'm not trying to create rules. I'm just giving, giving examples. And I bring it to conclusion. I don't leave it half done. And a lot of times the aspect of work I don't feel like doing is probably the most important part, that I do that. That's... And what do I have? All rolled up into one. I have prayer, I have the cross, 
I have charity, because every work is a service to someone. It's a service to our Lord and a service to others. And the other dimension is we want it to be objectively as good as it could be. Just because we throw ourselves into it may not be objectively good. And we look at our Lord's work, sorry for going from the sublime to the organic and mundane, but let's look at his first miracle. And uh, there's a little bit of humor in the miracle of Cana. Just to give it the right perspective, those weddings lasted for about a week. It's a lot of partying. They did it right in those days. We think we're whooping it up because we, we start at 6 and end at 11. These guys whooped it up every day. And they weren't very puritanical about their wine. The head waiter, well, he knew what was happening, but someone commented, one of the guests commented that, you know, this is a different kind of wedding because you're serving the real good wine towards the end, when everybody has drunk freely. It's a nice way of saying that perhaps they overdid it. But we're not going to advocate that. But these are the facts. He said, when you've drunk freely, then you serve the poorer wine. Why? Because you notice less if you've drunk freely. Okay, You're less sensitive to good wine. All you want is the active ingredient at that point. And this guy, he, he's commenting, he says, even though we've been partying for a number of days, even though we have drunk freely, obviously we're, the gospel's not advocating drunkardness, but after we've drunk freely, we've partied pretty hard, we notice that you've served very good wine. This wine's off the charts. Even under these conditions, we notice that this is really good. And it's a detail that our Lord would serve very good wine. It wasn't just mass-produced table wine. And that was preceded by another detail. It's in the gospel when Mary said, do whatever he tells you. Go fetch some water. Not easy in those arid climates 2,000 years ago. Very primitive modes of transportation. 130 gallons of water. And they fill them to the brim. Oh, listen, let's, let's, we'll bring 40 gallons. No, we'll bring 130 will fill those containers to the top. I'm not going to go through every miracle because we're going to end now. But the multiplication of the loaves and the fish. There was 12 extra baskets. They were leftovers. People were taking food home. I don't know if he created doggy bags there. Well, they had baskets, so they didn't have doggy bags. 12 baskets. So I'm sure everybody's grabbing food and taking it home. It was a good miracle. So that, well, how do I sanctify? I, I want to do my work well. Subjectively, I throw myself into it. Because this is what I'm giving to God. And, and I'm trying to evaluate objectively the, my work and try to improve it. 
That's how I turn into prayer. Well, we end our prayer, another detail with Mary, when Jesus was being stripped of his garments, his tunic was removed, and the soldiers observed that the tunic was seamless. The tradition has it, Mary made the tunic. They didn't want to divide it in four parts because it was a very good tunic. We see Mary in action, that how she was also in the details. We see how she did good work. Well, Mary, we end our prayer. Help us make a resolution to deal with our work in such a way that it enhances our union with your son. That I learn how to turn my work into prayer, and I learn how to turn my work as a component of the Mass, as I bring my work to the offertory. Mary, we entrust these sentiments to you. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Thank you for listening to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. For more resources and podcasts like this one, go to stjosemaria.org. That is stjosemaria.org.